This is a Research in Practice podcast, supporting evidence-informed practice with children and families, young people and adults. Hi, I'm Susan Ridpath. In this podcast, we're talking about how important participation is. I'm joined by my colleague, Emily Smith. Hi, I'm Emily. Both Susan and I are from Research in Practice, and in this podcast, you'll hear us in discussion with Meg, Evie and Keeley three members of the Young Researchers Advisory Panel, the YRAP. The YRAP are a group of young people working to improve support for young people affected by sexual violence and other forms of abuse. They work with the Safer Young Lives Research Centre to ensure their research is informed by and undertaken with young people, including those with lived experience of the issues being explored. Our discussion is based on the YRAP's model, Participation as Protective, an accessible visual resource which shows how participation can be protective in three different ways. Firstly, when young people are involved in their own support and care. Secondly, when they're able to work with peers to influence change. And lastly, when they can work collectively to influence research policy and practice. Within each theme are a series of compelling statements and images drawn by artist Zahura Plummer, demonstrating how each form of participation can be protective at an individual level and for young people more widely. A picture of the model is available on the Research in Practice website, along with links to other useful resources made by the YRAP. In this podcast, Evie, Keeley and Meg speak thoughtfully and powerfully about the ways in which participation can be protective for young people, and they call for professionals to take action. At the beginning of the podcast, you'll hear Keeley, Evie and Meg introduce themselves, and then you'll hear Keeley describe the rationale for developing this model. Hi, I'm Evie, I work in YRAP, and I personally identify as a survivor. Hi, I'm Keely, um, and I also work in the YRAP. So my name's Keisha. I work with YRAP as a research assistant, and I'm also speaking on the behalf of Meg today, who is semi-verbal autistic, and I will be reading the responses that she puts into the chat. So we were just quite unhappy and just very uncomfortable with the way that some professionals were labelling young people with lived experience. And they had this idea and opinion that young people who have lived experience aren't good enough, really, to contribute and to be involved in participatory work and research. From that, we recorded a conversation that we were having and then it was turned into an article from our responses and what we were saying. And from that article, we then thought of the participation as protection model. The article, by the way, is called From the Ground Up. And from the model, the participation of protection, we worked with a illustrator and another previous researcher from the university and we created ideas and we went off themes from the article that we had found and pulled them all together. It was honestly amazing. And the way that she um, she took what we had said and created really powerful and inspiring images to go along with it. I mean, I think the less words you put on it, the more powerful it would have been because the images just stand out so much and they're quite empowering. 
all of the people range of ethnicities because we wanted people to identify themselves within it. Um, and yeah, like Healy said, there's a tiny little picture that goes along with all the words that just illustrates the point. Thank you, Keely and Evie. The points you've made just now really bring out to me the collaborative and inclusive way that the model was designed and how much care and thought went into it. Keely spoke just now about the rationale for developing this model, that young people are not consistently getting to participate. And we're going to talk more about participation and how it is protective. Evie, Keely, Meg, what does participation as protective mean to you? Participation has been so empowering and healing for me to feel part of real change. When young people experience this kind of trauma, difficult decisions are made for them and they feel like they don't really have any sense of control over their life or even their own bodies. Feeling in control and feeling like you can make an impact has been instrumental in my recovery, but also made me feel a sense of purpose. There's something so rewarding to be a result of something so awful is healing. I can really relate to how Evie feels and how she felt going through it at the beginning. For me, being involved in participation research for such a long time, it has helped me a lot to see that everything can be so awful and that you can make a real difference and something good out of something that was terrible. What could have been like the worst day of your life, you can turn it into like the best years that you've had. And being involved, it gives you so much empowerment and it makes you feel heard. For me personally, I just feel like if I can get through that, then I can get for anything really. And the opportunities that you have as well, um, being involved in participatory research and work are just endless. There's also just a great team that you have and that you work with, like a really great support because they understand and they empathise with you. So that's really nice. I just wanted to reflect on the response to um, this question and my good part. Um, participating in research has pushed me along on my healing journey, has shown me that I am not as alone as I thought I was. I can see why when we spoke before um, this conversation, you talked about the importance of being inclusive and actually that this is something that lots of people should be able to benefit from. Who do you think could benefit from the participation as protection model? Professionals could be benefit massively from using this model. People like social workers, youth offending team workers, teachers, therapists, anyone working directly with young people, even family, friends. The people that would benefit the most, though, are ultimately the young people. So I think it's a valuable resource that should be out there and accessible in a wide range of contexts, it demonstrates the power of participation. I think it's also like a guide, like if you wanted to use participation, you could look at this and have all of this advice that's been curated by young people. It's not just limited to those individuals who work in participatory research or work. It, it literally could be anybody. So, so like, say... Say like if a, like a community worker, someone who reaches out or who would outreach or something in the community, they could look at this and think of like a way to how to get further young people involved and how to protect them when they are involved. It sounds like this model 
was created thinking about young people affected by sexual violence. But you, I mean, and I agree, it's it's useful when we're working with young people affected by anything, by any sort of harm, any sort of oppression, we can really learn a lot from the model in other circumstances. Yeah, and I also wanted to say that um, it's also available in French. So Megad put, um, I agree with Evie, participatory work benefits everyone involved. Professionals can do better work with young people and those young people will be will benefit in lots of ways. Feeling heard, comfortable, confident and having the freedom to make choices in, in their own time. Safeguarding is everyone's responsibility. I think safeguarding and participation go hand in hand. They are not mutually exclusive. Although participation is widely valued as a principle in children's social care, some people might be worried about the risk of bringing young people affected by sexual violence or other forms of harm together in practice. What do you think about this? When researching sensitive issues, we must be aware of the potential of distress. Young people with lived experience working research can experience reminders of traumas. It is important to safeguard and prioritise young people working in research. But I do think it's important to challenge the idea that participation is risky. These risks can be massively reduced. I believe we should consider at what point the young person is in their recovery, go over boundaries, consent, making plans to mitigate risks, etc. It's often the young person will know what they need, but sometimes they might need help depending on where they are in their journey. Um, it may not be constructive um, for them to participate, but from my personal experience, it is the opposite. It helped me save myself. There's so much that can be done to support young people in the decision to participate and during participation. There is no excuse, in my opinion. We are the professionals. We have the lived experience. Regardless of the risks, there is incredible benefit for young people and from the vast knowledge of experience in, we have in the systems. We risk so much by not taking part in research. We miss out on so much, the opportunity to learn indefinitely through a different lens. I think professionals use the risks I've mentioned along with safeguarding as a reason, and I want to break those barriers. My key advice for researchers and practitioners is it important to encourage discussion, action and modelling on having a healthy balance and boundaries when working in the field of sexual violence or harm. Personally, having someone come talk to me, getting to know me, building a connection is crucial. Feeling safe and important to young people, especially those who have not always experienced safety in their lives, is a high priority. Making sure time and space is held to create these relationships should be a high priority. A key part of ensuring these trusting relationships and a healthy work environment is to prioritise time, rapport building and relationship building. And this leads to a level of understanding and trust that helps us to plan and anticipate for risks. Not working with young people is a risk in itself for our knowledge and their recovery. Evie, that was incredible. Like, that, you literally just took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of reiterating myself in saying that or even just like repeating what Evie's saying in terms of yes, we understand there are risks and but it's but it's more in terms of how you minimize those risks. How do you say, okay, like 
we know there are barriers and we know that some things might happen, but how do we overcome them and how do we try and prevent them from happening? Um, but I feel like, again, Evie said this, um, I feel like professionals and some individuals use those risks to their advantage um, and try and say, oh, yeah, but like we didn't involve these young people um, because it's too risky of da-da-da-da-da. But then they don't see beyond those and think of, okay, but how do we minimise those risks and how do we get them involved? Um, and I just think if they could see beyond that, then they would know how powerful um, and how important it is for young people with lived experience to be involved in participatory research. It's like, it, it's like that saying, um, if you if you can't imagine yourself in someone's shoes, don't give them advice on how to deal with a situation. And it, and I just feel like some professionals that I've encountered or heard about, they, they just seem to think, oh, okay, but like we're not going to involve you because you're still going through it or, or you're talking about like you're still not healed or recovered from it. But then it's that some people that some young people's coping mechanisms to talk about it in such a powerful way and to really have it at their heart that this isn't okay. I want to change this. I want to use my experience to make sure that nobody else goes through it again. There's a lot more positives than there is negatives, but I feel like we're um we're at a brick wall a little bit with some professionals in terms of like they won't get past the negatives to see the positives. And that's when change isn't really being done. I wanted to say as well that young people do know much more than we give them credit for. Um, they're a lot more robust than we give them credit for. Um, and when you take away um, the decisions from the person, they don't feel like their opinions are worthy or um, valid. And it's so why it's so important to listen to young people. Meg was putting in the chat that professionals aren't the expert on us, we are. Unfortunately, there's not a training course for professionals <laughs> in terms of like how to how to approach and how to talk and how to engage with young people that have a lived experience. It's something that they just have to get off their bumps for, unfortunately, and just go and learn. There's no course to teach you that. You just have to go and do it. We need to trust young people to some extent. If we treat them like they don't know anything and every single thing is taken out of their hands, that makes their esteem lower and they don't trust themselves or value their own opinion or boundaries because no one else is. This is why participation is important. Um, Meg had put, you can't just teach empathy and sometimes you basic respect. I think what I want to say is even though we know professionals don't always get things right, we understand that the majority are really trying, but believing you know what's best for young people and not considering or even asking our opinions and feelings is where it can go wrong. I want to encourage professionals that they can do this and that it will be okay. Because um, ultimately people go into this field because they want to help you, all right? We do understand that they are human and that they are trying. It's just in some cases, Personally, for myself, if like I'm engaging with a professional and they talk to me in a way that I didn't particularly like, I would tell them. I was quite vocal in telling them like I don't like being spoken to like that. I prefer this way. But after you tell them quite a couple of times, 
I would hope that the majority of professionals would pick up on that and sort of change their style and change the way that they're talking. So we do understand that they are human and we do give them chances because obviously everyone can change. But after a certain amount of time, do they change though? If you're giving them that knowledge, if you're giving them that um, sort of space and that time and opportunity to change, yeah, I think we lose, unfortunately, we lose trust within professionals. Mm. Because they let us down continuously. And that's why you probably hear anger behind some of this. I am angry. I am upset. I don't think I'm angry in a sense of like, I want to smash windows and stuff. It's, it's more like angry and like upset and frustration. Do you know when like you just can't do something and then you start crying because you're that frustrated with yourself and you just like, mm. like it's that type of angry. It's just like you're not being heard because you're repeating yourself all the time. And even if you say it in different ways, it's just not enough sometimes. I relate to that. When I told people I was struggling, it always wasn't enough. And then I would act drastically so someone would see me and validate me. But then because I was irrational, I wasn't trusted. So it was just like a vicious cycle. I think some professionals think young people don't know what's best for them, so we have to choose for them. And I think that's a totally black and white view. I think there is grey in there. Yes, there's some things we may know that um, professionals know and have a duty to care for young people, but it doesn't mean that young people do not have valuable opinions of how to improve their safety. I just wanted to say as well a reflection that um, should put in response to the conversation that was going with Keely and Evie, that the strength of that feeling doesn't just come out of nowhere. And I think it can come across like we're not willing to work with professionals or we're angry at them, or but I think in my case I just didn't trust them and I was scared. I th- I, and... I think I think like that is a quite a communication barrier is that when we're shouting, when we're protesting, when we're asking for things, they think that we're being quite defiant and impulsive and angry when really it's not those feelings at all. It's like we want to be heard. And it's just it's just a case of like a very, very, very misunderstanding between the two. It's it's not like we're not willing to budge. It's like we've got nothing to budge for, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, so like if if we move, they're gonna still say the same. So even if we go one way or another, they're just gonna be like, no, 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 no. And it's like we just need one person just to say, actually, no, we need to move if if we want them to move, if that makes sense. Yeah. If people don't hear your voice, you um, especially as a child, you um, you think of toddlers, they throw stuff out their pram, don't they, and they cry. Mm-hmm. You know, if your voice hasn't been heard time and time again, you stop trusting that it will, and so your actions are therefore speaking for you. And I think sometimes professionals need to look between the lines in these reactions. Um, ultimately, a lot of these negative reactions or unacceptable reactions are from fear. Of course I have fear from adults. For me, what I went through was by someone I trusted. Meg's comment as well is that she'd say more than anything to listen. Body body language is loud too. If young people are uncomfortable, there is a reason. Work alongside young people to find out how to help them. Thank you, Meg, Keely and Evie. 
everything you said talked to participation so powerfully. Looking back to the model, what you've been discussing really speaks to that first section about young people participating in decisions about their own support and care. That section of the model picks up on the importance of creating authentic relationships, helping young people feel in control and valuing young people's voices, all themes that have come out so beautifully in your discussion. I wonder if we could look now at the second section of the model in more depth, which is participation is protective when young people work with peers to influence change. What are your reflections on this area? A part of the model that stands out to me is under the section young people work with peers to influence change and it reads young people start to shift their perspectives from personal to systemic slash political. I actually noticed this change within myself when I joined Wire Up in 2019. I did feel really isolated and my opinions were all tailored around my own experiences. Since then my role within Wire Up has not only broadened my perspectives but has also really built on my empathy and ability to imagine myself in other people's positions in order to speak on issues that we aim to change. Another thing that helped me with this is just talking to other people and other members and listening to them. It boosts those connections between us and makes us feel more comfortable with articulating our feelings in the future since we can find relatability in each other. This has helped us not just be in touch with ourselves and our own feelings, but with others and their feelings too, which makes us see the bigger picture and be able to change what that which needs changing. Um, just from personal experience, I know I know how rewarding and how and how amazing it can be working in a group with young people and and achieving common goals and making a difference making a change and actually seeing that and sort of like the benefits it has on the on the group that you're in it means that you can sort of go on to achieve more and then you can talk about it as well talk about as well with your peers like oh my gosh like did you see how we did that or I really liked how we did this and so it, it so like it builds friendships within the group I think this section for me just screams out like describes that like community and friendship and so, sort of in a way love and sort of like th that understanding and that relatability to one another every time I look at this person this section I always get I always get drawn to two particular images um and the first one is um two um two people and one of them's holding a door and then the other one he, he um they're about to walk through it and the person is holding their arm out as you say come in and there's a little speech that's um, um it's okay i've been through this door too so it's that 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 relatability and that understanding and that sort of like you know like it's okay I've been through it too so there's no judgment there's no sort of like negative thoughts there's no stereotypes it's just understanding being relatable and just saying to that saying to that person it's not the same but I've been through it too so there's some similar feelings some similar thoughts and it's just having that common ground and 
Um, and then it says underneath, young people may be more likely to talk to their peers and to take that first step with them. It's so important, and I I really do I really do wish and hope that professionals and practitioners and anybody working with young people recognizes that okay, if they're not going to tell me, then like they're going to tell their best friend. Like at least they're going to tell someone something that's happened. And then the second image is a um a young um a young girl hugging herself in the mirror. Um, I'm sort of realizing that she is worthy and she is capable of doing all the things that anybody else is doing so we were um saying in the chat about uh, participation being about you know growth and solidarity um whether you have a close or distant community it being helpful um and meg had specifically said um and reflecting on feeling how she feels that she's grown up a lot since working with others and also said that um, the validation and community really helps you grow as a person and realize your own worth and other people's worth too okay so we're going to talk about the last area of the model now and that is about participation being protective when young people work collectively to influence research policy and practice could you tell us a little bit more about that area I'm always reminded that I don't have to disclose any um, personal experiences or or to reflect upon my own personal experiences. I can do if I feel comfortable and if I wish to, but it's not always expected of me and nor will it ever be expected from anyone. When young people sort of collaborate in um, projects, so for me, there was a couple that I collaborated with the university on um, and I felt that it was really, really protective for me because I was always asked how I wanted to be presented, how I wanted my name to be displayed. There was always someone there making sure that my identity, that my sort of journey, my experience was protected in the way that I felt comfortable with. Practitioners were always following the consent forms and they were always respecting the ethics and always making sure that there was anything that popped up that they would cover them to make sure that the young, myself and the young people involved would feel comfortable. Connecting personal experience to social injustice helps us fight for social change, seeking links to our own experiences in the problems you can see affecting other people drives you to want to change that. Identifying with others and similar experiences is validating and aiming to change things that need changing because of this is massive motivation. It can really help give you a feel of pride in community. I didn't gain a lot of justice with my own experiences and I didn't stand up for myself back then because I was a child. And that motivates me to stand up for these young people that feel they don't have a voice. Gaining justice in a setting like this is so good for my soul. I get to be part of change and that is what is incredible for me. I'm imagining that there are people listening to what you're all saying right now who feel really inspired and challenged by what they've heard, but are starting to think about how they might be able to put this into practice. How would you like to see professionals using this model? what sort of professionals should be doing is like talking to each other and picking up each other on 
things that they could do better or things that haven't really worked that they could possibly change. If I could give them some advice, maybe, is to don't use it lightheartedly. Like if you're going to if you're going to be inspired and be influenced by this model, actually take it in, actually take the time and the effort to read it and to understand what it is that young people want from you. And if you still don't really understand it, maybe talk to one of your young people and say, look, like I've read this and I'm not really quite sure of what you mean and what you want. But if you could explain to me a bit more about it, that would be really helpful. Don't be scared to approach them if you don't understand something. So in the first section of supporting young people in the care and making their own decisions, don't be scared to ask them what they actually want. And if they say that they don't know, help them to know what they want instead of just saying, oh, okay, well, if you don't know, then how are we supposed to know? Like, just work with them collectively. It might take a bit of to and fro in, but you will get there in the end. You really will. Young people may have never had their voice listened to before and therefore need some support to express their needs. I know in regards to safeguarding, some things must be decided by professionals, but it's the small things asking the young people where they feel safe to have their meeting, if they want to bring someone, etc. I'm not hoping for an overnight change because Rome wasn't built in a day. I'm quite realistic in that it might take a little bit of time, but as long as the, the steps are going in the right direction, then I would hope that things would get better. And that also there'll be a bit more of a light-hearted relationship between social workers and young people or children just so it's not so standoffish quite most of the time all these barriers and wars and these negative thoughts and opinions that young people have towards say let's say police officers it will start to disappear and that you know that police officers can feel like they can take their armor off and just and just be human and just have a a regular conversation with um like with a young person who's just out walking the streets so meg had said i think it's important to make sure you're listening to and checking in with young people recognize that every young person is different experiences things differently There is not one solution for all. You have to work with the young person and connect with them to be able to help them, give them time and freedom. If social workers use this model, young people would become more trusting of professionals. Using this model is a way to reflect and work out how to really help young people. It's a slow change, but taking the time to realise the importance of working with young people will benefit everybody. Thank you so much, Meg, Keely and Evie for sharing your model with us and to Keisha for your support as well. In this podcast, we've heard that participation goes hand in hand with safeguarding. That was something Evie said. After all, young peoples are experts on themselves. And Keely brought that in. We need approaches which embody a participative approach where participation is fully integrated. Participating can be healing. It can build hope and be part of someone's recovery. We've heard that it can also be life-saving. As Keely said, and as Meg and Evie agreed, channeling your strength and expertise into changing things for others too is how participation can build hope. The connections made with others 
has a role in building confidence and that sense of self-efficacy to change that which needs changing, um, something Meg talked about so poignantly. This model is for you, whoever is listening, share it, promote it, reflect on how you can bring it into practice and take a bit more time looking at it in depth. When I listened to everyone speak, it reminded me of Dr. Karen Treisman, who talks about how relational trauma requires relational repair, which I think links to Evie's comments about how some young people have solid, irrefutable past evidence that trusted adults are not always trustworthy. So the importance of feeling safe in your relationships requires belief and trust that practitioners and researchers can demonstrate how they believe in your agency and how they respect your boundaries and opinions. How does that listening translate into action? Finally, our speakers today have demonstrated and modelled how bringing young people together can result in additional healing. And I want to be careful there as we aren't saying that young people should be made responsible for each other, but with well-held and great empathic support, look how all of you as panel members lift each other up. So before we close, we've taken an in-depth look at how vital participation is. Do you have any final messages, a key message for practitioners and organisations to carry with them throughout their work? All I'm really going to say is don't be afraid to involve young people. Don't be afraid to ask them what they want. Don't be afraid to approach a young person one day and say, hey, like, do you want to be involved in this? Or what do you think about this? Just ask them. The worst thing that they're going to turn around and say is no. And, th and then you just go and ask somebody else. Because young people are screaming from the top of their lungs to be involved in anything that would make services change to influence policy, to change anything that happens when they've been through a traumatic experience and like Evie has touched upon trust can be broken right from the very moment that experience happens and you are potentially the first person that that young person is going to trust again so it really lies with you whether they trust another adult again who someone who they trusted before which was an adult had broken it just be just be that trustworthy adult that they need to be able to repair their relationships and to help them realize that there are some good people out still in the world. And Meg said also, um, listen, listening is a skill that professionals have, but not all of them use. Be aware that young people are using services for a reason, so they need a gentle, caring approach. Involving them in work will help them more than you know. Thanks for listening to this Research in Practice podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it. Why not share with your colleagues and let us know your thoughts on Twitter? Tweet us at ResearchIP.